Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May Shireen podcast. I'm Aiden, I'm your host for this podcast. So... <laughs> Wow, the last two weeks have been interesting. So um, the Americans had a coup <laughs> in the country. And as a historian, this is very interesting for me to watch. You know, when I said I wanted to live through history, uh, this isn't what I meant. <laughs> Couldn't I live through like a fun golden age, you know, where nothing is wrong, people are making money, things are good. But no, I guess I had to... Watch the United States slowly implode from within. It was it was kind of interesting watching it on TV. My mom was actually working in the other room. She works at home right now. She works at a women's shelter. And um, I go into her office. I, like, knocked softly. And I was like, Mom, there's sort of a coup d'etat going on in the United States, and she was like, what? And she, like, stopped everything that she was uh, doing and came to watch the news with me for, like, 30 minutes, and then she had to go back to work. But uh, that was uh, interesting. Uh, What else have I uh, seen and done in the last few weeks? Well, I moved. You guys know that I decided to move back to my parents because it just wasn't working out for me in New Brunswick, and I'm just kind of, like, figuring out what I'm going to do if I'm going to go back or if I'm going to switch universities or if I'll be able to find other accommodations <laughs> in New Brunswick, but I, I really hope I do. It's kind of stressful. Also, I started school, <laughs> started school again recently. It's kind of it's pretty tough. I was freaking out the first day because it was just a lot of overwhelming information. The first day, you know, them talking about syllabuses and stuff like that, but I think I got a decent handle on it. Uh, The only real problem I'm having is I don't have a desk right now. I ordered a desk like a week ago and Amazon still hasn't delivered it. It's late. And like right now for this recording, I like my mic is attached to my dresser because there's nowhere else for me to go. And I'm using one of my end tables to hold my computer. It's a real, it's a real caveman setup. Maybe I'll post a picture of it on Twitter later (laughs) of what this looks like because it's kind of sad. All right, enough about me. Uh, let's get on to the topic at hand. Today we're discussing Maria, or Marie, Lachenska. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Now, she was a Queen of France. She's actually the longest serving Queen of France. I believe she served as Queen of France for, oh crap, why didn't I write this down? Like 40 years? It was a very long time. She served as Queen for a very long time. And uh, she was like the last Queen before the French Revolution, so like right before um, Marie Antoinette. And I think it's because of Marie Antoinette that, uh, Uh, Maria isn't really uh, very well known because she wasn't nearly as uh, dramatic or um, flashy as Marie Antoinette. And I think this sucks because I have always found her story really interesting. So that's why I wanted to uh, do her story today. I hope you guys like this episode. All right, let's go. Okay, so um, Marie was born on June 23rd, 1703 in Trzebnica, Nica. Poland. I'm not sure. I'm sorry. Polish words. (laughs) 
Uh, she was born to Stanislaw I of Poland and his wife, Catherine Oplinska. Now, Marie was the second of uh, the couple's children to live past infancy, and when she was born, she had one sister named Anna, uh, who was born in 1699, which obviously makes her older. Um, now, since Marie was born on June 23rd, that makes her a cancer. I love cancers. Uh, I've talked about the that before. Uh, cancers are generally kind and generous and warm-hearted, not to mention creative, and I think this describes her well from what I read because most people who met Marie described her as kind and good-natured, and she was also very artsy. She was fantastic at art, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that later. Okay, so I think the best place to start is obviously with her parents because her father, he's pretty important to much of her early childhood drama. <laughs> Yes, I did say trauma, because her childhood was neither happy nor stable. Now, the year after Marie was born, her father, who we're going to call Stan, because I don't want to try and pronounce his name again. Anyway, Stan was elected king of Poland. And yes, I do say elected rather than succeeded. Let me explain. So, Poland at this time had a history of electing kings rather than father to son or parent to child successions. And uh, most of the time, it, it worked out pretty well most of the time, except for when other people decided to kick Swedish king, sorry, <laughs> Polish kings off their throne because they could. And Stan was one of these people. So Stan was a pretty average Polish noble, you know, nothing special. But then King uh, Charles Twelfth of Sweden invaded. Now, there's a whole backstory for why uh, King Charles Twelfth invaded Poland, and I'm going to tell it to you. So <laughs> there was this thing called the Great Northern War going on at the time, and Peter the Great of Russia wanted access to the ocean. He wanted access to the North Sea, I think. And uh, the problem was that Sweden owned all that land. So Peter was like, fight. And Charles Twelfth was also like, fight. And uh, Peter the Great also happened to be friends with Augustus, the king of Poland at the time. So Charles Twelfth was like, I'm going to go fight your friend to piss you off. So he did that. And then Charles Twelfth invaded Poland and kicked Augustus off the throne and uh, then he got Stan elected as king of Poland because probably Stan would have been easy to control for <laughs> Charles and they probably also got Stan on the throne through various bribes but that's not important. Now uh, Stan officially being king made Maria princess at one years old. Now, Marie's mother had a pretty similar beginning to King Stan. Uh, she was a Polish noble, too, and was kind of just along for the ride as her husband decided to mess with politics, which ended up ruining most of her life, but we'll talk about that later. Um, also, I read um, Marie's mother, Catherine, had like 20 pregnancies in her life, and like almost all of them, except her daughters, Marie and Anna, ended in miscarriage, which is like so sad. Like, I can't imagine how much psychologically that can do to you. Like, I, I, I feel terrible for her. And I also admire her for putting up with Stan's shit her whole life. So, like, go Catherine L. <laughs> now, Marie was a Polish princess for about six years until it all went to shit. Now, King Charles of Sweden kind of lost the upper hand militarily in Poland. And the former King Augustus was like, knock, knock, I'm back, bitch. <laughs> and Stan decided to be smart and told everyone to pack what they needed and to run right now or they were going to die. Now, keep in mind, Marie was like seven at this point, so I can't imagine how scared she must have been, so she starts packing, and she runs with her sister Anna, her mom Catherine O, and her nurse, and at some point during all the chaos of them running, her 
and her nurse got separated from the rest of the family. Now, no one knew where they were for hours, so they sent out some, like, soldiers to see if they could find them. And after a few hours, they were discovered in this, like, manger in a, in a stable at the palace and, like, covered in hay and stuff, which, God, must have been awful. Though I did read another story, like, a different version of that same story that says her and her nurse were, like, hiding in, like, a mine shaft or something. I don't know where you would find a mine shaft that close to a palace that they could have ran too quickly, but anyway, uh, both are equally uh, trying experiences for a seven-year-old, and I can't imagine how traumatizing this must have been for her while she was so young. Now, I bet you're wondering, where on earth are they going to go now that they have no place to live? <laughs> well, uh, thankfully, Charles XII of Sweden was a loyal hoe, and he wasn't going to leave poor Stan and his family out to dry, even though they weren't kings and queens anymore. Um, actually, Charles XII actually seems like a pretty chill dude. Like, I, I didn't get to research him very thoroughly, but he, se- he seemed pretty nice. Now, Charles agreed to let Marie and her family live with him in Sweden until they could either get the throne of Poland back or find other arrangements, which I think was very nice of him. Now, Marie would have arrived in Sweden about 1710, uh, and she would have been welcomed by Queen, the Queen Dowager of Sweden, uh, Hedwig Eleonora. Now, you might remember her. We talked about her a bit in the Christina of Sweden episode. Uh, She was the girl who Christina set up with her cousin, who became king of Sweden after Christina left the country and gave up the throne. Now, I think it's kind of interesting to see uh, Hedwig Eleonora's life kind of like come full circle in another episode. Like, when we last saw her in the Christina of Sweden episode, she was just a young woman, and now she's the current king's grandmother and a very well-respected queen, so, like, good for her. Um, Marie's time in Swedish court is probably what formed a lot of her personality, in my opinion, and I think it's where she got, it's also where she got a lot of her formal education, so let's talk about that before we move on into the rest of her story. Now, Marie received a pretty damn good education for the time period, and considering the fact that her father was a deposed king, she really shouldn't have gotten an education like this. Like, this was so lucky that she was able to get this education. Now, uh, part of her education, she learned popular court dances, which would be important if she was going to marry someone important. Uh, She was actually a very talented musician. I read she played many instruments, like this... uh, Oh, I don't know what it was called. It was like this guitar-looking thing, like not a ukulele. I don't know, but it was like a little guitar-looking thing. And she could play it really well. And I think one of her best talents was probably languages. She could obviously speak Polish, but when in Sweden, she managed to learn Swedish, and eventually she learned French later in life when she became Queen of France. And she was also probably tutored in Latin so she could read the Bible, because, you know, that would have been important for her. Because I believe Poland is and was back then a, a very Catholic country. Um, I also found out she was a very talented painter. Uh, like I said earlier, she's very artsy. Um, I already posted some pictures of uh, some paintings she did. And um, I really like her paintings. Like, I think they're pretty impressive for copies. She copied a lot of her art. She never really, like, uh, as far as I saw, she never really just, like, painted things from life. She loved, like, copying paintings in uh, the Palace of Versailles, which I I think is really cool. And even for copies, God, they're really goddamn impressive. Um, Anyway, 
Now, before we hop back into her story, I just want to talk about what she looked like. Um, even though we have many portraits of her, I thought it would be interesting to let you guys know because I know you guys aren't going to Google her portrait after this, so I'll just tell you instead. Now, um, Marie doesn't really go down in history as someone who's really that pretty. Um, as I say, beauty is all in the bi- eye of the beholder. Um, personally, I think she looks great in her portraits. I think she's very pretty. Um, she has this, like, ashy blonde hair and, like, brown eyes. Uh, she was actually fairly petite, which I didn't expect. Um, I'm not exactly sure how tall she was, but if I had to, like, guesstimate, I'd say she was, like, at least 5'6". Like, she doesn't give off, like, short energy, in my opinion. Now, one of the reasons she's not remembered for being very pretty is because of the gossiping French court, who were kind of, like, the bane of her existence her whole life and definitely made her feel, like, not as confident as she really should have. And I, I think that shit, I, I hate it when, like, one person in history can, like, ruin our perception of that person. Like, you, you say this girl is pretty once in an account and then suddenly it spreads like wildfire. wildfire and I, th- I, I think that's crap. But... You know, fuck the French court, I guess. Okay, so Marie spent a lot of her teenage years in Sweden. Like, most of them. (laughs) Uh, But one thing that happened to them a a lot during this time is they spent a lot of time moving around. Because, like, Charles couldn't really keep them in one place for a very long time. But I'd say the worst thing that happened in Marie's early life is that uh, in 1717, her older sister Anna... Uh, died of pneumonia when Marie was only 17. Um, I couldn't really find out if they were very close siblings. I didn't really see anything about that, but I'm sure it really hurt her to watch her sister die very slowly. Um, the awful thing about Anna's death is that Anna totally could have lived if the doctors hadn't been dumb and kept bleeding her, which ended up making her weaker. And Promonia was, like, already weakening her immune system, so really the doctors ended up killing her, which is, is really sad. I'm sure it was awful. Um, after Anna died, Marie's father, uh, King Stan, he was very, very depressed. He loved Anna. Anna was probably his favorite daughter. And after Anna, Anna died, he was a lot colder to Marie from here on out. Um, and he also told her that she was never allowed to say her sister's name again or even talk about her. And uh, Marie, she was very introverted by this point. Um, And when her father told her to never talk about Anna ever again, she took it very seriously. And she did such a good job at never talking about her ever again that basically no one knew she even had a sister until it was accidentally brought up once a few decades later. And everyone who found out was, like, astonished that she had a sister because no one had any idea. Um, in my own personal opinion, I think the death of Anna really affected her personality and made her more introverted than she already was. Um, and I think it may have also caused her to feel that she wasn't, uh, nearly as important as she was or deserving of attention, which is awful. It makes me want to cry for her, which I will probably do a lot this episode (laughs) because her life is rather sad. It's got a lot of highs and lows. Um, not even a year after Anna died, uh, King Charles XII actually ended up dying in battle. Uh, I think he was still fighting the Russians at this time. He actually got hit in the head by some sort of projectile. 
I'm I'm not sure how that happened. Um, but I, I actually did read a rumor that his brother-in-law might have had him killed. Uh, we don't really have time to unpack all of that. <laughs> so let's just say he got hit in the head by something and he was dead. I actually saw a picture taken in 1917. So they did an autopsy in 1917 of Charles XII's body to, like, figure out what killed him. And, oh my god, the pictures are so creepy of his corpse, like, over, like, two centuries old. There's, like, a giant hole in his head. Like, you guys gotta Google this photo. It's so weird. It haunts my nightmares. Anyway, um, when Charles died, uh, the lands that, um, Stan, Marie, and the rest of the family had been living on went to someone else. And they basically had to beg someone to let them stay somewhere. And luckily, the Duke of Lorraine was, like, pretty sympathetic to what had happened to them, and he decided to set them up in a place called Wissenburg, uh, which is right on the modern-day border of France and Germany. However, back then, it would have belonged to the Duchy of Lorraine, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, When they got to Wissenburg, let's just say they weren't living nearly as well as they did when Charles was taking care of them, because, like, Charles was, like, really nice to them and, like, afforded them a lot of luxuries. But the Duke of Lorraine uh, was on a bit of a stricter supporter royal family budget. Um, So they lived in a small little shack. Um, It kind of reminds me a bit of that awful castle Isabel of Castile had to live in when she was a kid. Um, Not to mention, Marie's family is also given a small salary, so, like, to them, they were basically poor, and they hated it. <laughs> um, Maria's mom, Catherine O, had her jewels taken away, which was a huge downer because Catherine O loved her jewels. Um, and all, most of the family was pretty sad about the downgrade, but Marie was actually humbled by it. She actually it didn't bother her too much. And um, I think this kind of uh, ended up making her get a lot closer to her father because they had been, like, mad at each other since um, Anna died, and... I think this time in her life made her really resilient. I actually read this quote about her that I think kind of sums up her attitude towards being downgraded from princess to runaway princess. Um, Marie possessed the gift of suffering in silence and of never wearing others with her troubles, and was said to have developed a profound and intense piety which gave to her youthful mind the maturity of a woman who no longer demands happiness. Which, this is a very sad quote. But, like, I think it describes her very well and how resilient she was. Like, she never wanted to bother anyone with her problems, which is is sad. But it's it's kind of interesting how strong she was. And I, I really admire that about her. Hold on one second, drink. You know, Coke Zero should be, like, sponsoring me. At this point, it's all I drink when I do my episodes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Alright, so it's time to get this bitch engaged, because by the 1720s, she was approaching her late teens and early 20s, and uh, back then, uh, if you didn't hurry, she was going to be old and dusty by 27, which is a problem. Um, But they had a couple of problems trying to get her married to someone. She was poor. She was, like, really, really poor. Like, her dowry was, like, some thread and a few buttons and maybe five gold coins. Like, it was not impressive, and they basically had to sell her rather than the money that was coming with her, because she didn't have any money, because she was broke. Um, she was considered pretty worthless on the marriage market, uh, but despite this, her father really still made his best effort to find her a husband. Now, the first man they tried to set her up with was uh, Louis Henry, the Duke of Bourbon. 
Uh, but we will just call him the Duke of Bourbon because there's a lot of Louises uh, or Louis in France to keep track of. Now, the Duke of Bourbon uh, probably would have been a great match for Marie. Uh, he was closely related to the French royal family. He was powerful and wealthy. And, you know, it might have happened. Uh, but the Duke of Bourbon's mother, uh, Louise, was not so impressed with this Polish nobody. So, uh, negotiations broke down, and after that, um, there was this soldier, uh, he was a minor nobleman, uh, named the, oh, okay, this is French, I can do this, French education for the last 12 years, come to me, all right, Marquise de, de Cotrevin, Marquise de Cotrevin, sure, we'll go with that, so, uh, <laughs> This Marquise, he fell in love with Marie. I actually think he was tasked with, like, guarding her at her, uh, shitty shack <laughs> that she lived in. And he actually asked the French crown if he could be made a duke so that he could ask her to marry him. Because she was technically higher in rank than he was, even though she was an exile princess. Anyway, the French crown said, uh, no, in French. <laughs> Which is also, No. <laughs> So that marriage never happened because he wasn't nearly good enough for her. So they kept shopping. Um, after that, they tried the Prince of Baden. I believe that was a German prince and that fell through. So they tried the Count of... Oh, no. Charles, uh, who was brother of the Duke of Bourbon. But something went wrong there too, so they had to skip him. And one of the last negotiations was uh, her possibly marrying the Duke of Orléans. Uh, but his mother was also not impressed with Marie in the slightest, so by 1723, it must have seemed pretty hopeless. But then, something amazing happened. The French crown itself came knocking and offered up a marriage to Marie that was better than she could have ever hoped. The king of France himself. Okay, so I think it's important that before Marie meets King Louis XV that I tell you a bit about him and also catch you up on a bit of French history at the time so you can understand what Marie is walking into when she gets to the French court. Now, in 1715, the Sun King, Louis XIV, was dying after a very long 72-year reign, and he definitely had a lot to be proud of as king. Uh, Still, there was a teensy-weensy problem as he was dying. Now, uh, Louis XIV's son, uh, the Grand Dauphin had died in 1711, but that was okay because the Grand Dauphin had a son named the Petit Dauphin, <laughs> Louis, and uh, that kid had was married and had children, so the line of su succession was totally fine. Until the next year, uh, because that grandson, his wife, and his eldest son all got sick and died. And suddenly, the France that Louis XIV had built over nearly seven decades was being left to a five-year-old boy. Now, that boy was Marie's future husband, Louis XV. Now, Louis XV fascinates me in a lot of ways, because imagine trying to follow the Sun King's reign, seven decades of awesomeness as a little boy, not to mention the fact that realistically, he should have never, ever been king. Um, even if he hadn't had an older brother, which he did, uh, Louis really should have been in his 50s by the time he became king because he had a grandfather and a father to wait for, even if he had been the oldest. So Louis spent most of his uh, first decades first decade as king, having adults make decisions for him eventually when the Sun King did die and he became king. Now, at first, uh, Louis XV had his uncle as his minister, but when his uncle died, the duties were handed over to this guy named uh, Cardinal de Fleury. 
who served as Lewis's minister. <laughs> the flurry sounds like now I'm thinking of like a Mick flurry with like a cardinal hat on. Is that funny? Because <laughs> it's funny in my head. Anyway, uh, Cardinal de Fleury served as Lewis's minister even when Lewis was an, an adult, and he could have made his own decisions, but he didn't want to because he relied a lot on de Fleury. Um. And because of this whole succession crisis, there were very few male line bour- Bourbons left. And everyone was always worried that little Louis XV's health was going to fail and he would die. And there would be a huge problem if he died. So they decided to make sure that he had a wife lined up that was a good political match and someone that he could have kids with quickly. But that was not Marie. Um, Louis's cousin, Infanta Mar- Mariana Victoria of Spain was who they chose initially. Now, at that time, she had been in France for a few years as a little girl, and people were so sure that when she was old enough, she would be queen, they nicknamed her the Infanta Queen. But in 1723, Louis XV got really sick. Now, don't worry, he recovered. However, his government realized that the next time they might not get so lucky, so they needed to find someone that uh, Louis could marry and have kids with soon, or else they were going to have huge problems. So little Mariana Victoria was about seven or eight at the time, which meant she couldn't have kids for a few more years. Uh, Meanwhile, Louis was, sorry, Louis was 15 and already hit puberty, so he could have kids immediately. So uh, the crown sent this poor tiny little girl with her dolls packing back to Spain because she hadn't hit puberty yet, which is like the saddest form of rejection I have ever seen. (laughs) Now, don't forget about Mariana Victoria, though. She doesn't come back in this story, but after she got rejected by the French, she ended up getting married to the King of Portugal and had a daughter with the King of Portugal named Maria. Uh, And Maria goes down in history as the Mad Queen of Portugal. Uh, One day, I'm sure Maria is going to get her own episode, so just, like, keep a pin in that story because we're going to come back to it one day. Okay, back to Louis. So now that Louis was single and ready to mingle at the ripe old age of 15, they started shopping around for a princess. Now, the French government made a list of 99 eligible eligible princesses to look at. Now, Marie was on this list, but she was only there because she made the minimum requirements of being Catholic. That's it. That's the only reason she was on there. She was probably like number 99 on the list, if we're being realistic. Like, there's no way she scored any higher than that. Now, the government was having a hard time finding a new bride for Louis because all the good princesses were, like, tied up in politics and money, and it was just taking too long to figure out, and they needed to get a princess fast. because They were really, really worried at this point that Louis XV was going to die. So, uh, once they went through all the good princesses at the top that they couldn't figure out how to get here fast enough, they looked at the bottom of the list, which I'm sure was, like, smudged with, like, French coffee or something because they weren't paying attention to the bottom of the list. And they found this name, Marie Lech. They, something they don't know how to pronounce because they have French accents. <laughs> anyway, they're like, who cares how to pronounce her name? She's perfect. So she was chosen because there were no negotiations needed with her. Her dad was king of nothing. She had no money, so there was nothing to bargain for. Not to mention she was almost in her 20s at the time, so she could have kids right away. She was exactly what they needed. And when Marie's dad, Stan, heard that uh, Marie was chosen to be Queen of France, he was like, pack it up, kids. We're going to France. <laughs> 
Now, the official announcement of their engagement was made in April 1725, and let's just say it was not taken particularly well at court, or really by the common people. Um, the French court was notoriously bitchy and gossipy. I've talked about that. Uh, it didn't matter how much of a good person you are, or how fashionable you are, the nobles would chew you up and spit you out if they didn't like you. Uh, before she even got there, they started spreading, like, nasty rumors about her that she was ugly and she had epilepsy and she was probably infertile. Like, why are we even wasting our time on her? Now, honestly, I have no idea how she handled it, uh, but she still went ahead. Uh, she made her way to her new husband in the summer of 1725. Um, she first got married to Louis by proxy, which we've talked about before. Basically, it's a pretend wedding, but it's very uh, legally binding, where one person stands in for the other spouse who isn't there, and then they get married. It's just like a way to secure alliances, basically. And after that, she made her way to Paris, uh, where usually there should have been like parades in the streets for her, as usually happened with new uh, queen consorts. But there was infirmary. But it didn't really bother her very much so. Uh, she still made a pretty nice impression on the common people anyway when she handed out gifts on her way to the palace that she was supposed to get married at, which was very nice, and I'm sure the poor people appreciated a lot, and that's where that's where she got her audience. Marie was a lot more popular with the common people than she was with the French court, which in her eyes was better, honestly. Now, she got married at the Chateau de Fortemblanc, and on September 5th, Marie got to meet her future husband the day before their wedding. Now, keep in mind, they did have a tiny bit of an age difference. She was 21 going on 22 at the time, and he was 15, which is new on this show because usually it's the other way around where we've got a young woman marrying a very old man. Um, but it, in this scenario, Marie's the older one and Louis the younger one, so that's new. Um, I imagine Marie was scared considering she didn't really think much of herself and she'd probably heard a lot about how handsome little Louis was and I can't imagine how nervous she was, but she had no reason to worry because little Louis was like already obsessed with her when they met. Uh, he showered her with compliments and he talked about how honored he was to have such a beautiful and mature wife and he would literally fucking flip on a dime if you heard a noble making fun of her appearance he wouldn't have it it's it's so cute how obsessed with her he was like it's it's so adorable it was quite literally love at first sight for both of them which is is a nice change from the normal Ugh, i hate you um not to mention like i said he he was really handsome so bonus on both sides. Now, uh, they officially got married the next day, and boy was Louis excited to consummate this marriage <laughs> with all his teenage hormones, you know, like rattling around. Um, and after a, a year of marriage, uh, Marie got pregnant. Yay! Succession saved. Um, nine months after that, Marie gave birth, which was great because it meant she was fertile, so fuck you, nasty rumors from the French court. She can have children. Um, and even better, it was twins, but it was twin girls. So, boo for the line of succession. Um, because France followed Salic law, uh, which meant girls couldn't inherit the French throne. So they were based, they didn't count, basically. But Louis was over the moon with his, when his twin girls were born. Like, he literally could have not cared less that he, they were girls, uh, I, I read this quote from him. I, I I don't have the exact quote, but he was like, wow, I became a first-time father in one go. Like, he, he loved his twin girls. It, it was amazing. Now, the babies were named uh, Louise Elizabeth... I'm sorry. <laughs> Louise Elizabeth and Anne Henriette. Now, while Louis might have been happy with his twin girls, uh, his minister, Cardinal de Fleury, 
or McFlurry <laughs> was not, and told Marie until she had a son, she wasn't allowed to go on trips with Louis anymore, which is, fuck him, that is so rude. Um, I really hate Mr. McFlurry. <laughs> now, the next year, she did give birth again, and it was another girl. Shit. <laughs> and they named her Marie Louise, which is weird, because they already have a daughter named Louise. Anyway, um, now... Louis was a little less impressed this time because he was kind of getting a little fed up with the fact that she wasn't having any boys. And the Cardinal McFlurry, well, he was really mad. And the court thought this was hilarious <laughs> that she couldn't, that she wasn't bearing a son quickly enough. And I'm sure Marie was really nervous about her position as queen. Um, and she was probably worried that the love she had been receiving from Louis would disappear if she didn't have a son faster. Now, luckily, the next year, on the 4th of September, 1729, Marie gave birth to a healthy baby boy. Yay! And they, of course, named him Louis, because they there's like a million Louis in this period of French history. Um, now, once her baby son was born, this improved Marie's standing in court, even though uh, most of the French court still didn't like her very much because, you know, they thought she was poor and ugly and stuff like that. But luckily, it did make her husband love her again. And after her son's birth, Marie and Louis had another son, Philip, and then their daughter, Adelaide, uh, Adelaide, and then Victoire, Sophie, Teresa, and Louise, which bothers me because they already had two daughters with the name Louise. Why would you name another one Louise? That doesn't make any sense. Now... Louis and, sorry, Louis and Marie had all these kids in the first 12 years of their marriage, and shockingly for the time, Louis was completely 100% faithful to Marie the whole first 12 years of their marriage. But don't worry, it doesn't last, because, men. <laughs> but we'll get to that. Now, let's talk about what Marie was like as a mom, because she was a little different than what everyone expected her to be. Now, Marie is often remembered as a cold mother to her children. Um... Her daughters often complained about it and thought their father was much nicer and more affectionate than she was. Still, I'm pretty sure she had, like, some level of postpartum depression, which is tough to deal with now. I can't imagine how bad it must have been back then to cope with when doctors didn't know about postpartum depression and just thought women were being dramatic. Um, I really think she did care for her children. Uh, she did ch take charge of most of their education, especially her oldest son's religious education. I, I just don't think she really had that natural mothering instincts that everyone thought she should have, but I really don't think she should be judged for this because I really don't think it's her fault in any regard. Okay, so as mentioned at the start of this episode, Marie was the longest-serving uh, Queen of France that they ever had. Um, I almost got it right at the start of the episode. She was Queen for 42 years, not 40, but, you know, close enough. And uh, she doesn't really get nearly as much of attention as Marie Antoinette did. So let's talk about Marie's time as queen and some of the things she did. Now, Marie was not someone who really participated in politics. She only ever did it once and it kind of ended in disaster and made that bitch Cardinal McFlurry an enemy of hers because he thought she overstepped herself. Uh, the only other time she inserted herself into politics was when her father tried to go after the Polish throne again which worked until it didn't, and he got kicked off again. Eventually, Stan was made the Duke of Lorraine and finally retired from trying to get the Polish throne because I'm sure the French crown was like, maybe if we give him a duchy, he'll fucking stop trying to go after the Polish throne, <laughs> which worked. He never went after it ever again. And the reason Marie was 
stepping into this was because she wanted uh, Louis to support her dad's stand and getting the Polish throne back, which he did. But Cardinal McFlurry didn't like that and thought she was overstepping herself as a woman. But after that, she she decided to never just mess with politics anymore and let Louis do his thing. Now, just because Marie was not influential in politics doesn't mean she wasn't a good queen, because she was. Uh, she was actually the most popular member of the royal family. At least she was with the common people, which I think is where you really need to focus as a queen. Because, you know, the common people can change a lot of stuff, as seen with the French Revolution. Uh, she was really generous to the poor and sick. She wasn't really over the top, unlike a certain granddaughter-in-law of hers would be one day. Uh, she was a very simple person. Uh, I read this quote from her that uh, said, I have no need for dresses when the poor cannot even afford shirts, which is very powerful and very different from the attitude of a certain granddaughter-in-law of hers one day. Now, the common people gave her the nickname the Good Queen for her generosity and piety, which I think is really sweet. And it's awesome that they loved her because French court didn't. And I'm sure that was shitty to have to live with them in a giant palace. Uh, she was also a patron of the arts. Uh, she also had an affinity for China and not the dishes like the country. Uh, she had many rooms decorated in the Chinese style. Uh, these rooms don't exist anymore because when Marie Antoinette got in there, she uh, redecorated all of Marie Lachenska's rooms. <laughs> now, Marie is best known for her, ad her adherence, yeah, that's the word, adherence to court etiquette that the Palace of Versailles has become very famous for. Now, if you've seen the movie about Marie Antoinette by Sofia Coppola, and remember that one scene where Marie Antoinette is trying to get dressed, and she has to, like, stay naked for, like, a full, like, minute because people keep on coming in of higher rank that uh, have the honor of giving her her nightgown or like whatever she's wearing under her dress. Now this Marie also had to deal with that too. And while Marie Antoinette like hated adhering to court etiquette, our Marie like thrived in it because she was really good at this at etiquette because she found it like very like she liked the structure of it. Like she didn't necessarily like being watched eating and watch people watching her getting dressed, but like it felt it gave her the structure she needed it. and it made mo more people at court respect her because the etiquette was like very very strict uh which she really needed now when she wasn't doing all that she had private backroom chambers where she could relax and read and talk with her friends and it was really needed because marie was not getting the attention she had once gotten from louis now when they had first gotten married like i said louis was excited and affectionate and a little teenage boy with a lot of hormones <laughs> but after 10 kids and marie almost dying giving birth to their last baby it was decided that they shouldn't sleep together anymore and marie didn't really want to sleep with him anymore because she was just so tired of being pregnant <laughs> 10 times so louis's eyes started to wander and he started having mistresses regularly and this obviously made marie very mad but there wasn't really much she could do about it and even though louis still like loved her and respected her they didn't sleep together anymore which kind of ruined the fantastic relationship they had in the first place um marie pretty much knew exactly who louis was sleeping with like 24 7 and all the mistresses he had affected her in some way and i'm sure it was really hard for her to be pushed to the side because she had been pushed to the side her whole life but i think the one mistress that impacted her the most was the famous uh, madame pompadour now madame pompadour was pretty different from all of louis's other mistresses because she actually made an effort to be nice to Marie, unlike the others who had just, like, ignored her or were just generally bitchy to her. Um, Madame Pompadour, like, tried to include Marie, uh, 
and stuff they did as much as possible um and like actually tried to talk to her uh they weren't exactly friends but they also weren't enemies either i think marie appreciated the respect that pompadour was giving out and i i, th I think it's really nice of pompadour to have been really nice to marie because marie deserves it now, as Marie aged, she lost most of the beauty that she did have, and she started stepping back from her uh, role as queen. Probably the worst thing that happened to her in her old age was the death of her eldest son and the death of her father the next year. Now, don't worry about the line of succession this time. Her son had a boatload of kids, and one of them was the future Louis XVI, who would have his head cut off via guillotine. Is that, is that the proper pronunciation? Guillotine in the French Revolution. And then... Not too long after that, Maria Lachenska, Queen of France, and after 42 years, she finally died the day after her 65th birthday in 1768. Now, her death was pretty much a fucking disaster for the monarchy, since she was the only reason anyone really liked Louis or respected the monarchy. Um, I'm not going to talk too long about it, but over the last four decades... Uh, Louis hadn't made some of the best decisions, and he was kind of running France into the ground, and Marie was probably the only reason why the French Revolution probably didn't happen earlier, because people liked her a lot, and um, Madame Pompadour was also very popular, um, and she had died four years before, so, like, with the death of both of these women, like, France was gonna be run into the ground anyway. Now, after Marie died, Louis was pretty much left to his own devices. He ended up embarrassing himself without Marie or Pompadour to help him because they were kind of like his his supports. They knew what to do. And like I said, because of this, he set up um, Marie Antoinette and his grandson up for failure. And, you know, he caused the French Revolution in the end, which I don't really think anyone really thinks about. Alright, let's talk about legacy. Obviously, Marie is ignored in history books because many people believe she's, you know, not as interesting as Marie Antoinette, but I have to disagree. She handled her position with grace. She didn't let anything bother her. She was kind and generous, and I think everyone deserves to know how cool she was. Um, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Bye! Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMayShereign2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you you guys could do that. All right. Uh, bye.